Good morning, everybody. You sound good this morning singing. One thing I do want to remind everybody of is May. We have evangelist Tommy Zito coming back. Uh, He'll be here in Brattleboro one night uh, across the state the rest of the week. And then June 30th to July 6th, the Great American Camp Meeting. Want to keep that in your thoughts uh, always and be planning to be a part of that. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. One of the things as we started the new year that I heard from a number of our folks was the uh, uh, need for more and greater depths of prayer. Uh, So in response to this, I'm I'm bringing back some older teaching. I'm going to add in some new teaching with it. Uh, And I want to encourage you, invite you... uh, Last month for communion, um, I, I kind of talked about this some, but you may remember there was a great snowstorm and not many people were here. Um, so we're, we're going to focus during our communion services for much of the year on prayer. And so one of the things that I've done is out in the hallway, uh, just outside near the bulletin board, you will find a sheet like this. And what we're going to do is encourage you to take one of those. Now, this is voluntary. Everybody understands that. Nobody's going to, like, beat you over the head if you don't do this. <laughs> but it says um, uh, it, it's going to have the Lord's Prayer on it, the teaching that I'm going to give today. Uh, it's going to give kind of like the synopsis of what I teach you today. And then down at the bottom it says, I commit to pray like Jesus taught us, blank minutes a day, every day for the next month. And so you can take that if you so choose to join with us in praying the Lord's Prayer over the next month, and you can say, I'm going to take 10 minutes, I'm going to take 5 minutes, I'm going to take 15 minutes, I'm going to take a whole hour to pray every day for the next month. Uh, And again, this is voluntary, but if you want to deepen your relationship with the Lord, then you have to spend time with Him. Amen? And if you want to see God move, then we need to be praying because there is very little that happens that doesn't start first with prayer. Would you stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
And if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You may be seated. So first, right away, I want to point out that the Lord gives us two warnings. He gives us, before he gives us an example of how to pray. And the first is not to make a spectacle of yourself. Again, it said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so he speaks of hypocrites, again, who stand on street corners or in the synagogues, and they pray loudly for everyone to see. And while many of us hate to pray in public or speak in public, how many would you say, that's me? I'm not really into that. I don't want the attention. There's always somebody that loves the attention. Their motivation is to be seen and heard, much like a Leah. <laughs> it's not a way to get the Lord's attention when they do this. But again, they, they want to get man's attention. They want to be seen and heard. I remember when I was a kid, we had a man up at the camp in White River who never missed a chance to pray in a meeting. His name was Freddie Frechette. And Freddie was a bit unique. And he would always start out his prayer by saying, Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Now, I don't want to poke fun at someone's uniqueness. But as kids, it just used to kill us. Because you knew what was coming, and it came every time somebody said, would, you please, would somebody like to pray? Freddie would shoot right up out of his seat, fold his hands, and, Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. <laughs> and I don't want to pick on him, and I hope his intent and heart was pure. But I think there was something in Freddie that just wanted to be seen and heard. If we find we have this issue, you know what Jesus says to us? He says, go to your room. Go to your room. Do it in secret. If that's your motivation, go pray in your room. And it's not that we shouldn't ever pray in public. I hope that you learn to boldly pray in public. Amen? It's that we have to do it for the right reasons. Because it's time to pray, not because we want others to see us. Second warning, perhaps first teaching moment, is when Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Have you ever heard someone that feels like they have to use really extravagant words when they pray? You'll hear country hicks who suddenly sound like they're straight out of a Shakespearean play. Somebody will ask old Billy Bob to pray and you hear, well, yes, sir. O thou divine parent of the universe, we worship thy excellent eminence in the brilliance of ye golden sun, which thou hast created by thine omnipotent discourse on the third day of thy creative labor. And it's like, come on, man, you don't even know what half of those words really mean. And Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, actually uses surprisingly few 
words. Verse 9 says, pray, like, pray then like this. And so the Lord's Prayer is his example of how to pray. You remember, if you know the story, the disciples came and they were wondering about how to pray. And Jesus says, let me teach you. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. And so notice he doesn't start out by praying his long Christmas list to the almighty Santa Claus in heaven. No, he starts out instead by saying, Father, you're holy. You're the holy one of Israel. You're the living God who is above all else. Father, you're the mighty one. You're the creator. You're the savior, the deliverer, the redeemer, the provider. What do we call that? Worship. He starts out with worship first. And worship is an appropriate way to begin a prayer. You know, those who surround the throne of God in heaven are in a constant state of worship. The seraphim fly around the throne day and night for all eternity, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, day and night, day and night before the presence of God. Incense like worship, like incense, is offered up to him, just like the song that we sing says. Or song that, yeah, song that we sing. I was like, did I say that right? But they never stop. And the elders in the throne room, they fall down before the Lord, they throw their crowns before him, and they worship him. And if we want to come before the throne with our request, with our needs, listen, it's good to begin with a proper path, worship. I started out the service by saying, I read the other day, you know, praise brings us into the presence of God and worship is what we do in response to being in the presence of God. And so worship is what brings us into this state of nearness. So before we begin, again, spouting off our needs, it might be good to get close so that he hears us. Now, obviously, in times of distress or immediately need or immediate need, you can just simply cry out to the Lord. Amen? How many of you have had a moment where it's just like all you can say is, help! Jesus, help me! I don't got time for anything else. Just help, Lord. So we start out with worship, and second, what that does is it brings about a recognition. It draws us near to God, but it gives us the proper recognition of who we are praying to. You are my heavenly Father. How many of you are, how many of you are glad that God is our heavenly Father? Amen. How many of you struggle thinking of God as your heavenly Father? Well, He is. And it's good to remind yourself that he is a good father in heaven. He's a good heavenly father who cared enough, who loved you enough to adopt you as his own, to bring you into the family. So as we pray, pray, recognizing who God is. You're my father. You are holy. You're omnipotent. You're wonderful. You are everything that I need. You are my provider. And so it serves to remind us of the power and position of the one we pray to. This is important on several levels. 
First, as we enter heaven's courts with our petition of prayers, this should remind us of the serious nature of prayer. How many of you understand that prayer is not a little thing? It's not a light thing. It's a serious thing. We're coming before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the heavenly Father, the ruler of the universe, the judge of all men, small and great. We should come before him in a serious manner. Because we come before the one whose very nature, his character, his righteousness, his holiness would kill any man should he approach the presence of God. I remember some years ago preaching a message about uh, knowing, who be, knowing who you're standing before and how we, shouldn't, we wouldn't dare to enter the presence of an earthly king in a careless manner or an insulting manner. How much more care should we take then when we enter the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the almighty God? It's a solemn and awesome occasion every time we enter the presence of God Almighty. In another message, I remember quoting a man who said, uh, you know, you have to remember that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you can try and pet the lion of the tribe of Judah, just, just don't expect your arm back. Like C.S. Lewis said of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's a good lion, but he is not a tame lion. God is the supreme authority. He's the judge, again, of all men. He is holy, he is righteous, and he is to be revered as such. And yet, he is also our heavenly father. That is why the Bible says that we can come boldly to his throne. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Doesn't it seem like such a contradiction? On one hand, be careful, be careful, because he's the holy God. He's the judge of all the universe. And then in the next breath, but you can come boldly. You see, because of what Yeshua has done at the cross, because we've been adopted as co-heirs with the Messiah, because God is our heavenly Father, we can and we should come before his throne with respect, but also boldness. I think that's where many of us miss it. You see, we either have far too much fear in coming to God, or we have reckless abandon in coming to God. And what we need to have is a bit of both. When we pray, there needs to be a deep respect and recognition for who we stand before a humbleness over the fact that God would even entertain our prayers. I mean, isn't it amazing that he would hear us in the first place? Who am I that God would listen to my prayers? Who are you that God would hear you? And yet he says, I hear every prayer. We sang it in that new song. Sometimes our prayers are just a whisper. But he heard every single one. 
So we need that humbleness of heart. We need that fear, that reverence, but we also need the boldness of a child who needs to speak to his or her loving, good father. Alea does it every week now. She doesn't care that the rest of you are here. She doesn't care that we're in church. All she knows is, I need to tell dad something, so I'm going to speak up and let him know. And isn't that how we should be with our Heavenly Father? No matter what's going on in life, no matter the chaos around us, Father, I got to let you know something. And so you see, we can have reverence, we can have that respect, and yet still come like a child to its father. My kids have always known that they are loved and that anything they need, they can come and ask for They can come at any time and crawl up in my lap or ask me for a hug. Jack doesn't care who I'm talking to or what's going on. Dad, 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 dad. Second Jack, dad, dad, dad. Yes, Jack. (laughs) He might could work on the reverence part a little. But he gets what it's like to need to tell your dad something. And so should we. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is something I've taught before. But what you're really praying, what you have to understand, is you're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done in me. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here in me. I believe we often think of the rest of the world when we read that or we say that, you know, Jesus, Father, the world is a mess. We need you to come right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. But guess where it has to start? Right here in you and I. You see, his will is already being done on earth. Nothing can stop it. It's already happening in the big picture. When all is said and done, history will record that every tyrant and kingdom that rose to power did so according to the will of God and the permission of God. Likewise, every king and kingdom that falls will have done so according to the will of God. All these things that we see happening in the world, some of them frightening, some of them exciting, they are simply chess pieces on the cosmic chessboard of history as the almighty God of heaven works out his will in the world. As we worship, which is how Jesus taught us to begin to pray, we move into a surrendering of self. And that's where we come to this part of his teaching, your will be done, your kingdom come in me. There's a great surrender that has to happen. Again, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a prayer that deals with others as so many suppose as they pray that prayer. It's an inward focus, praying that the kingdom would be moved forward in me and through me. Again, it's the thought of surrender. It's prayer request, it's much more intimate than most of us can imagine. You see, because what the world needs 
is for Christians to stop trying to impose God's will on others through things like laws, voting, protest, and Facebook memes or comments. What we need to do is start submitting to His will in our own lives if we want to see the kingdom come. If we could do that, if we would just begin to go when He says go, to speak when He says speak, to refrain when He says no, you see, the church would begin to transform into something mighty and lives would truly be changed. Now, I don't want to give the impression that laws and voting and so forth are not important because they are. But we always seem to get it backwards, don't we? We always want to put the cart in front of the horse. If you want to see the nation change, then you change. If you want to see the nation change, then you reflect the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom come to America or wherever you're from, then let the kingdom come first in you. If you want to see God's will done here on earth, then start doing God's will in your own life. It does no good to pray for the will of God to be done on earth if we are the one who then turns around and resists it. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. James writes in James 4 that we have not because we ask not. Jesus said already in verse 8, he said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. How silly is it that we have a Father in heaven who knows our need, who wants to meet our needs, and yet we do not ask Him to meet our needs. If we have a need, a real need, and not want, then we need to faithfully seek God to meet those needs. And as James says, sometimes we have not because we simply have not asked for it. I think it's obvious that God does not give us everything we ask for. How many of you have asked God to win the lottery? If I could just win the lottery, God, all my problems would be solved. God says, eh, that's not really my will for your life. And we say, really? Could it be? And James gives us one of the answers as to why God doesn't always give us what we ask for. James 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I don't know about you, but if God let me win the lottery, I would probably spend it on a lot of things that I want. I know Gunner would buy a Lamborghini or maybe a couple of Teslas. I believe it's important to stop and ask yourself, why am I asking for this thing I'm asking for? Is it because it's an actual need or is it because I want it? Is it out of need, or as James puts it, is it to spend on my passions? You see, God is in the business of meeting needs, not enabling us to fulfill our earthly passions. And sometimes God simply says no to things we think we really need, and perhaps we do. At other times, our Father asks us to bear burdens that we would rather not. Again, I talked about surrender a minute ago. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. What was it he said? He said, Father, 
this is a really big thing you're asking from me. They're going to go and they're going to beat me and they're going to kill me and nail me to a cross. Would you let this cup pass from me? He didn't want to have to drink of the bitter cross or a cup of death. He didn't want to have to take on the sins of the entire world. Think about it. He knew no sin. He did not know what it was like to sin. And the Bible says that he that knew no sin did what? Became sin. Can you imagine what the Lord Jesus felt like in that moment as he's preparing not only to be beaten, to be whipped, to be mocked, to be crucified, to be killed, but he's like, I don't even know what it's like to be sin, and you're going to make me sin. And what did he say? Not your will. Not my will. Thank you, Mary. Your will be done. And yet, Jesus still made his request known. And so should we. Lord, take this illness from me. Save my loved one from death. Provide for me in this famine. Lord, I need a new car. I need a new home. I think sometimes we're so careful to not preach or fall victim to the prosperity gospel that we forget that God provides for his people. And that he is a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the one that said, if you'll obey me and bring the tithes into the storehouse, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. So ask for what you need. Ask for what the church needs. Ask for that healing. Ask for power to preach the gospel. Don't be shy when we have a father who wants to bless his children and invites us in his word, tells us in his word to ask for what we need. But remember, at the end of the day, it must not be my will, but his will that's done. And so recognition that God is the one that meets our needs is important. He causes the sun to shine. He brings the rain in due season. He causes crops to grow. He enables us to not only work and provide, but also plants ingenious ideas and plans in our hearts and minds. The Bible speaks of the care of God over and over again, and yet often we attribute the meeting of our needs to men or rely on our own abilities. You know, one of the Issues that God had with Israel in the book of Hosea was they kept turning to other nations and false gods to meet their needs. God said in Hosea, he said, listen, I'm already doing all of this. You've got everything you need from me. Why are you turning to these other people? Why are you turning to these false gods when I've already provided it all for you? God cut them off from even the help man could give them to show that he is the one that provides. And so again, when we pray, we need to recognize that God is always the one who meets our needs. Your provision is not your boss or your employer, amen? Amen. Your provision isn't the government. You're not even the one who ultimately provides. God is our provider. Without him, there is no provision for anyone or anything. 
Now, do not let that thought uh, keep you from working. Because that is one of the ways that God provide, provides for us. He gives us strength. He gives us ability. And the scriptures are clear on this. We must be responsible. But in Exodus, even when famine and judgment came on the land, God provided and protected his people by making a distinction between them and the unrighteous. How many of you believe our Heavenly Father provides for his children? Next, we pray for forgiveness, verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, quite clearly, the Lord is speaking about asking forgiveness for our sins here when he speaks of debts. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as you pray, Remember to take time to confess your sins as best as you can remember them. Now, I want to be clear. You don't need to get saved over and over and over again. How many of you have ever seen the guy that every time there's an altar call for salvation comes to the front? How many, time does God, how many times does God need to save you? Once. When you pray and you recognize and say, I am a sinner. God, I need salvation. God does what? He saves. You were saved by confessing yourself to be a sinner the first time you do so and by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. However, it is a good practice to confess your sins to God on a regular basis as you pray. If nothing else, it will serve to remind you of how much you still need the Savior. This fact should remind us that we need to forgive those that sin against us because we are not really any better than them. And if we want forgiveness, one of the things that Jesus taught us is we must be willing to forgive others. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a scary verse, isn't it, if you think about it? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, and I, I get that sometimes there are really terrible sins that are committed, unthinkable sins. And yet, I hear people say, I will never be able to forgive them. Confessing our sins to God reminds us. It reminds us, I still need a deliverer. I still need a savior. And if I do that, if I need that, then so do other people. Verse 13 said, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is an interesting one to interpret or to teach on. How many of you understand that God does not cause us to sin? And God does not lead us into temptation. So what does it mean when it says, and lead us not into temptation? I want to read from James just a moment to prove my point. James 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So James clearly explains who is at fault when we are tempted. Who is at fault when we're tempted? It's the devil, right? No. It's us. It's this sinful thing inside of us, our sinful heart that says, ooh, that looks really cool. I'd like to do that, or I'd like to have that. And that's when temptation comes. We're lured away by our own sinful desires. So back to Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation. I think a proper understanding of this verse should be that it is a request for God's leading in our life. Are you with me? It's saying, Lord, let me follow your leading. Let me walk in your ways because I know if you lead me, I won't go off into temptation. So long as I'm following you, God, I'll be on the right path. Again, if we follow our own path and desire, guess where that leads us? Into temptation. And once temptation has taken hold, guess what? where that takes us. James answers that for us and says it leads first to sin and eventually to death. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are asking the exact same thing that the Lord prays next, deliver us from evil. Lead us, keep us on the straight path, keep us on your narrow path, and deliver us from the evil of this world. And oh, how do we need to be delivered? We need to be delivered from the curse of sin and death. Praise God that the blood of Jesus does just that. If you're here today or watching over the internet or listening to a podcast, if you have never been delivered from sin and death through the blood of Jesus, you can do that now by accepting him as Lord and Savior and asking for forgiveness of your sins and repenting of them. You can receive eternal life through him. And let me tell you what, if you've never done so, you need to do so now. Pray and ask the Lord again to forgive you and repent of your sins and then begin to follow Jesus as your Lord. But it remains an appropriate prayer to pray because beyond salvation, once I have been delivered from death, hell, and the grave, I need to be delivered from me. You know, I may look like a good guy, you may think I'm a good guy, but there's ugly stuff in here. And it's true for all of us. Romans 7, starting in verse 23, says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Just in case you're not familiar with who wrote this passage, this is the apostle Paul speaking, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He says of himself, "Wretched man that I am." Who will deliver me 
from this body of death. If Paul still needed to be delivered from that body of death, from the old man of sin that still worked in him, how much more do I need it? So pray that God would deliver you from the old man of sin. Pray that the Lord would lead you in his ways and deliver you from the temptations of this world. Pray that God would help you completely crucify the old life you were so that you would, this new man would be fashioned in the image of Messiah. It may rise within you. Pray that his will would be done completely in you. And so this is the model. This is the model of prayer that we're asking you to pray for this month. Worship the one we pray to as you begin to recognize who we are praying to, to surrender to the one we are praying to. And then after you have surrendered, after you have recognized, after you have worshiped, then it's proper to let your needs be known, to let the needs of others be known, to let the needs of the church, of the community be known. And then to take time and say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this issue in my life. I confess it. And I ask for your forgiveness. And God, while we're on the topic, would you lead me in your ways? Would you keep me from temptation? Would you deliver me from the evils that are in this world? And then as you close out prayer, guess where we go once again? Back to worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And it truly is. It truly is. So we close. I'm going to ask you to just stand. Worship team, come on back. These are on the back shelf out in the hallway. I ask you to take one and consider, consider joining us in this challenge for the month. To every day, take time to pray the Lord's Prayer as I've taught you. Not just to read it out of the Bible, just not to recite it, but to worship, to recognize, to surrender, to let your needs be known, to confess your sins, to ask for deliverance and leading, and then the close of worship once again. If God is going to move in our midst, if your relationship with God is going to get deeper, then you have to spend time with him. You have to seek his face. Would you pray it with me? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven in me. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Somebody say amen. Worship him. Your name is truly holy, Lord. We worship you. A thousand generations 
falling down in worship sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Worship Him. And all who've gone before us and all who will believe sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name 